the Genie Podcast. I'm Grant Bruner, and with me today is Thomas McKenty. How are you, Thomas? I'm doing great, Grant. A great day. It's great. So, over the past few weeks, we've been sitting down with a couple of the most prominent members of the genealogical blogging community. We're really interested in talking and finding out more about the people who make the genealogy blocking scene, what it is. And of course, you can't do that without learning more about Thomas. Now, Thomas is great, and he sits down with us every week and talks about genealogy, but we don't really get to talk all that much about Thomas himself. So today, I'm going to ask some questions and find out some more about him. So Thomas, let's start off. How did you get into genealogy? Well, I got started back in the early 1990s. Uh, My mother handed me a copy of a printed genealogy that one of my ancestors had created back in 1916. Uh, just a little educational point here, Grant. Back around starting in the late 1890s to 1920, in reaction to the immigration, wave of immigration, a lot of than other families who had been here first. But, you know, one of the side benefits is you do get these printed genealogies. So my uh, sixth cousin, five times removed, uh, named George W. Putman, uh, published the genealogy of David Putman and his descendants, uh, 1645 to 1916, uh, and only 100 copies were printed. So uh, I know that the Library of Congress has one. I know that I have one. Uh, Schenectady Historical Society has one. I, I've been trying to track the copies. So when I got this book, it, and it's thin, it's probably about maybe 30, 40 pages small, uh, I was fascinated not just by the stories, and one of the stories is how my ninth great-grandfather, Johannes Putman, was killed in the Schenectady Massacre of 1680. But also, I was more fascinated by how my cousin did his research. Back then, he contacted every postmaster in every rinky-dink town in upstate New York and asked if anyone with the name Putman lived there, and if so, could he have their address. So that's how I got wow. started. That's how I got hooked. I feel so bad for the people. Like, I have some ancestors who wrote some books, so I'm very familiar with their story. I think it's a fairly common story among genealogists, and so people will really understand what you're saying. And I think that it's – I feel so bad for my ancestors who had to put in all this work to find the information when if they were starting now, it would be so much easier for them to start because everything – so much more things have been indexed and digitized and you know searchable online. That makes a big difference. Yeah, but also the collaboration is much easier with sites like Genie. I mean you can connect with other people. You don't have to call – you know, write to a postmaster and wait several weeks. Now it's, it's instantaneous almost. Yeah. Also, writing books. I mean, think about it. These people had to maintain their whole manuscripts on typewriters and handwritten words. They didn't get to have a computer to write all their manuscripts. So it was just it's very hard. And I, I'm really glad that they did all the work for me. But wow. I mean, I, I, I hope that I can live up to a great, great work that they've done. Yeah, this is why, uh, Grant, I say it's a great time to be in genealogy. It, to me, it, it just seems like it's the perfect time when technology has sort of aligned itself with genealogy and we have all these opportunities. Absolutely. So, you know, now that we know how you got into genealogy, let's talk about how you got into blogging. How did you hear about blogging and when did you start doing it yourself? Well, you know, being in the information technology field and an early Internet user back in 93, uh, I was familiar with blogging when it started in the mid to late 1990s. But my opinion back then was, you know, it was a bunch of very extremely opinionated, self-important people in need of a soapbox. Uh, it wasn't until the blogging matured as the community over the years 
and I saw more and more people were using it to document their own lives that I made the connection with blogging and genealogy. So for me personally, my first blog started in December 2006. Uh, it was a way of me documenting the family stories my mother would tell. She was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's disease in 2000 at age 58, and I knew that it was sort of a race against time to capture these stories and the story of how she grew up with 11 siblings in Jersey City during the 30s and 40s. So that's how I got started. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a, I think that's also a fairly common thing is that when people start realizing like, hey, you know, my family's getting older, my grandparents, my parents, my, you know, even my siblings, they're getting older and I don't want to lose any of these great stories. They're important to, you know, my heritage and then my children or my nieces and nephews and, you know, my whole family find this important. So that's when they really start getting interested in documenting it. So for, for people who want to actually start contributing to the genealogy community and blogging and, and that kind of stuff, where should they actually start? Well, you know, there are a lot of ways to get back, and especially with social media, there are a lot more venues. I think it's uh, something everyone should get involved with, and these are a few things that I recommend. And, and this is, you know, if I had a soapbox, this is usually what I uh, am talking about uh, if you listen to my various channels. Get involved with genealogy societies. They need members who bring special talents, especially leadership talents and technology skills. You can join a local society, you can join a state or national society online and help them develop programs. One way to find out is visit the Federation of Genealogical Societies at FGS.org. You can find a society near you or a society that would be a good match. The other way that you can get involved is just simply transcribing records at home on your own computer. Uh, there are many indexing projects out there. FamilySearch has one. Uh, Ancestry World Archives uh, footnote has one of the best ones right now called Restore the Ancestors, which is uh, transcribing records for 30,000 enslaved ancestors from South Carolina uh, from 18, the late 1700s up until about 1865, 1870. So also, if you have your own fascinating set of records that could benefit other genealogists, Listen, transcribe it, put it up on a blog or a website. We have people doing this every day. They will take a list from a yearbook, et cetera. The important thing is to get that information out there. We also, you know, think about volunteer opportunities. There's a community called Random Acts of Genealogical Kindness out on the Internet. They help out other genealogists with lookups, with locating items, uh, if someone says, if you're near Library of Congress, can you go look someone, something up for me? They'll do that. You could also go to Find a Grave, findagrave.com to add records and photos, uh, create a virtual cemetery, uh, maintain that cemetery with information. Also volunteer with Unclaimed Persons. Unclaimedpersons.org is where you can help county coroners and medical examiners locate the next of kin for bodies that are sitting there in the morgue and haven't been matched up with family. Finally, it's you. we have to get the youth involved, more involved, so I think if you can take an active role in teaching not just your own children, but children at church, uh, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, schools, libraries, any activities, clubs, uh, if there's a focus on family history, get involved. 
Uh, Grant, this is one thing that I would love to see one day is that a professional genealogist is invited for career day at a school. I think that would be so neat. To me, that would be sort of a high watermark uh, that we're getting noticed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a huge part of it is getting people interested earlier. So they actually have the time needed. I mean, like, you know, if you start when you're 60 years old, you have much less time than if you start when you're, you know, 15 or 20 years old. So it's really important to get people interested um, as young as possible, as young as they are. You know, obviously, the younger you are, probably the less interested you are. But if we can expand genealogy and show that it's not just boring looking at records on microfiche, it's actually much more and offers a lot, then I think that's uh, really, really uh, useful to expanding our demographic. So when did you start doing genealogy podcasts and online radio shows, and, and how did all that get started? Well, I never really thought of myself as a media person, uh, a reporter or a broadcaster. I think it was a, a natural extension of me being a blogger. Uh, bloggers basically are journalists. Uh, even if you don't have an audience or your audience is only your family, uh, if you're blogging family history, you're reporting on family history. And so podcasting, internet radio, to me, they're natural extensions of doing that. But also when I got laid off in 2008 and started my own genealogy business, I had to market myself and my business. So in delivering audio content, and then if you also pair it with a blog post that has episode notes or helpful links to websites, I realized that I could expand the audience for genealogy. Uh, I started Genia Bloggers Radio back in February of this year, and they're at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Genia Bloggers. And we started it when the second season of Who Do You Think You Are was airing on NBC. Uh, you know, what I wanted is I wanted a way for people to meet after the show and talk about the show. For the first season of Who Do You Think You Are, we had various Facebook chats. We had genealogy-wise chats. But it, we really didn't have a system where it worked out. It, it wasn't satisfying. So I had taken a look at Blog Talk Radio back in 2010, and I thought about it, but I didn't have time. So what I like about Blog Talk Radio is we do a live radio broadcast 90 minutes every Friday night at 10 p.m., but you also have a chat room where you can sit there and chat. We've had as many as 120 people in the chat room at one time, and not only are they chatting about that week's topic, but they're also giving me, as the radio host, instant feedback on the show. They're asking me questions. Uh, so we originally started as a call-in show. But that has morphed uh, into more of a show with a standard theme. It is a talk show format where we have two to three guests for each episode, and we talk about great topics. The one that's coming up uh, this Friday on the 12th is about using newspapers as a resource for genealogy. So we try and keep it interesting, and uh, we you know, want to make sure that we're providing uh, valuable information out there the genealogy community. No, I mean, absolutely. That's a, it's a big, big important part of, of being a genealogist is going out and sharing and teaching. So webinars have really taken off in the past, you know, like seven, eight months. It's been a real big thing for genealogists. So I wonder how has the rise of webinars really changed the way you work with the genealogy community? Well, webinars have been a big game changer for me, and I believe for the genealogy community as well. Uh, and this is the reason why. Webinars allow me to deliver more educational content to bigger audiences at a lower cost to both me and my host. Usually it's a genealogy society or genealogy vendor. 
Uh, they don't need to pay me travel expenses. They don't need to fly me into Spokane or to California. Uh, it saves me time as well. I can do three webinars in a week, whereas driving or flying to three different places would just plumb wear me out. The nice thing is also webinars capture that presentation in a recording that can be downloaded and played later. You can't do that with a live presentation unless you're recording it there via video. So it's all the grant about convenience, making genealogy education a self-serve product for the consumer. This is also why uh, Internet radio works so well. This is why these podcasts on Genie work so well. I can't tell you. I've had so many people say, I enjoy your Genie podcast. I download it so while I'm on the exercise bike or the treadmill. I can listen or I listen during my commute. Uh, it, it works on their schedule. Uh, it's delivered uh, on, you know, when they want it, where they want it, and, and they can pick the subjects that they need the most. Right now, I think the biggest challenge with webinars is this, convincing genealogy societies and genealogy speakers that the technology required to run these webinars is approachable. Luckily, I think we're seeing that. I just signed three contracts this week alone for genealogy webinars between now and July of 2012, as far away as California. So something tells me that they're getting it. They're understanding how important this is. And this is also why earlier, Grant, when I said I wanted more people to join societies and share their technical skills, this is what it's all about. These societies are afraid to do their own webinars because they have no one really to shepherd them along the way. So it's important. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a very good point is that sometimes people – the reason why some people shy away from this new thing is it's like they're scared. They, they don't know if they can do it or not. And um, really, it, it's kind of our job as the people that are going out and educating people that it's not hard. You know, collaborating with people, talking with people, learning new things. It's not hard. All it takes is a little bit of time and a little bit of effort, and you can actually get in there and do a lot of really interesting stuff that has, um, up to this point, not been done. Exactly. Yeah. So people are interested in all this information. They want to find out more about you, find out more about what you do. Where can they go? What are some websites? Well, the best thing is, first off, check out my uh, professional website. This is where I list my speaking engagements. I have over 30 presentation topics that I'm available to present. If I have any webinars coming up, they're listed there. The name of the site is High Definition Genealogy. It's at highdefgen.com. I have one new product that I'm coming out with that I did on Monday night, uh, Grant. It's called an Explorinar. Uh, an Explorinar is a short webinar with, without slides, uh, without handouts. Basically, you sit down with me and we sort of explore an application, or a website. We did Google Alerts for genealogists on Monday. We had 63 people. It was a lot of fun. They had great questions. And sure, we might have made some mistakes, but that's what it's all about, exploring. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, if you want to look at my own genealogy research, and I have a great research toolbox available for free on my blog, check out Destination Austin Family. It's at destinationaustinfamily.blogspot.com. And then finally, as I said before, Genia Bloggers Radio is at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Genia Bloggers. Uh, every Friday night, 9 o'clock Central, uh, we've got newspapers this week. Uh, next week, I've got a really hot show. We're doing uh, Land Records and the Homestead Act, and we'll actually have someone, 
an expert on Laura Ingalls Wilder from Little House in the Prairie as our guest, talking about how her father was a homesteader uh, and settled in the Midwest. And we've got great topics, great guests coming up on the radio show. That's great. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us, Thomas. So, for the Genie Podcast, I'm Grant Brunner. Thanks for listening. Have a good one.